0: Welcome to the Swamp Flicks podcast, my name is Brain in the Day.
1: I'm Brittany Lombas.
0: I am James Cohn.
1: And I'm Hannah Rasinen.
0: And we are recording in James and Hannah's apartment in Mid-City, New Orleans. This is the podcast version of the movie review website, Swampflix. Swamp do y'all mind if I use this podcast to do something very selfish right now?
2: I mean, of yeah, course this not. is pretty mm. much your show. So. Okay,
0: great. <laughs> I'll edit this out if it bores me later. But uh, <laughs> we went to a metal show the other night. Yeah. And on the way back, I desperately wanted mozzarella sticks <laughs> and could not find them in five businesses that I attempted before I went home. Man. This was the hour of, it was the witching hours, like between midnight and 1 a.m. Mm-hmm. Uh, some places were open, but insanely crowded. Like a nightclub atmosphere at the Wits Inn, apparently, is something that goes in on Wild. Saturdays now. We saw Yab in concert and they were very loud, but I would say the bounce music at Wits Inn on Saturday night was even louder wow. was like the loudest I've ever heard music in a bar in my entire life. This is the selfish part. I want people to write in at swampflix.com and tell me where I can get mozzarella sticks at midnight. The next time I'm <laughs> hungry for mozzarella sticks. It's been five years since Mr. Hot Dog Boy reviewed this podcast and I think they got a okay. vibe more than any other listener ever. Uh, it's been two years since Brittany's mom Gave us a positive review, which is the last time anyone's ever contacted us about <laughs> these missives that we're sending out into the void. Uh, well, that's not true. Matt Farley every now and then tech, uh, tweets us yeah. and says, good job. He's which Twitter that. heavy. That keeps me going. Yeah. yeah, I need someone to tell me where I can get mozzarella sticks in New Orleans, preferably in the Mid-City or Ooh. Seventh Ward area mm. after midnight. Rallies. Rallies, I believe, was closed. <gasps> I went to Burger King and... The one item that said "sold out" on it was <laughs> sticks. mozzarella sticks.
1: <laughs> and beach, yeah.
2: beach Corner wasn't serving <laughs> right. food anymore. Really? Shamrock was insanely Triple crowded. Part. Yeah. Okay, I was thinking of them uh, for some mozzarella Okay, but
1: here's the thing: if the number of establishments that have mozzarella sticks becomes more and more limited over time, they're going to more people are going to flock to them. So you are risking you have to go into the fray to get mozzarella sticks. Maybe.
0: I haven't craved them like that since we went and saw Skin of yeah. a and, uh, and I went to Shamrock and had some. Yeah. It was
2: great. <laughs> They're good over there. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I just think maybe there is no perfect place where there is no trade-offs of like, you can get mozzarella sticks, and also there is a reasonable crowd here. It's uh, like, either you're not going to yeah. get it, or everybody else is also here for mozzarella sticks, so there are like 100 people here. Isn't G's Pizza open late?
3: I don't know if that. Yeah, I don't they're know open if that late. Yeah, not not that late. That late. Remember, they were yeah. like late, and they probably have moss sticks, or they used to pre-COVID. Yeah, I went
0: to a fundraising thing for a coastal restoration thing that CC's working on right Ooh, now. Oh, that
3: sounds cool. At
0: Cooter Brown's, their kitchen closes at twelve thirty.
3: Their kitchen totally changed. It used to be good, solid, like greasy bar food. And now it's like, do you want poutine or like (laughs) goat cheese croquettes and shit? And it's like, what is this?
0: I have a feeling at some point you could have gotten mozzarella sticks at 3 a.m. at Cooter Brown. Oh,
3: absolutely. Yeah.
0: Anyway, rant over, desperate pleading to the audience to tell me where to get my fried cheese when I'm craving it once every six months. Yeah, even if
1: you don't engage with us in terms of film, just please tell us where to get mozzarella sticks. It's the least you can do. My
2: family is dying. I will will say, I I went with you on... Part of the journey and I was impressed yeah. at how seriously you were taking the mozzarella. <laughs> yeah. Stick.
1: I went for exactly one leg of the journey and then I was like, I'm I'm totally good on I don't need to try to go to a second place. And then I got home and then James came home like ten minutes later. I was like, Oh wow, yeah. He's
2: like, yeah, I wasn't going for the third leg of the trip.
0: That was a good call apparently. Yeah. It went nowhere that journey. Well, we are a movie podcast, not a Mozzarella Sticks n- podcast.
1: Not famous for the Mozzarella Sticks.
0: <laughs> yes. Movie and mutts. What have y'all been watching lately?
1: So James and I went to the theater yesterday and um, we saw a 2023 release. I think it was opening weekend this mm-hmm. week. And uh, that was Past Lives, directed by Celine Song, starring uh, Greta Lee as Nora, Yu Teo as Sung, and John magaro as arthur um i feel like this movie has gotten a lot of buzz and a lot of press it's a semi-autobiographical story about this young girl nora who's that's her americanized name she immigrates to canada at a very young age and leaves behind her childhood sweetheart uh they reconnect 12 years later via skype and you know they, they meet again through social media and then they. Like, start up a kind of relationship. I mean, it's basically just communication that it falls off as it becomes clear that they're not going to be able to continue it physically. And then, 12 years after that, Hei Sung comes to the United States, to New York to see her. Um, She is married to Arthur, and it kind of follows. Their few days together, including some scenes where where Arthur comes along with them. So apparently, this did happen to Celine Song. Like, there's the movie opens up with this scene at a bar, and all three of them are together. And Hey Song really only speaks Korean. He he knows a little bit of English. Arthur knows a little bit of Korean, but basically speaks English. So Nora is kind of the translator between the two, and she has strong connections to both men. But neither of them can kind of connect with her in the way that the other can. Um, So there's like speculation from other patrons about what the relationship dynamic between these three people are. And that was kind of the inspiration for this story. And I thought it was really beautiful. I cried watching the trailer (laughs) for this movie. So (laughs) it was just a really intimate, beautiful kind of heartbreaking but also very mature story about these complicated relationships between these three people and like, you know, how, how difficult it is to know someone, how a part of you um, can stay with a person, even as you kind of grow in different, uh, in different ways. Um, and I think my experience of the film was marred by a couple that uh, persisted on eating the crinkliest food I've I've ever heard um, <laughs> for about an hour.
2: <laughs> I almost walked out of the theater. It was <laughs> yeah, that it was pretty bad. bad. That happened to me. That happens to me regularly
0: at Elmwood specifically.
1: Yeah. Well, was it like movie snacks or do they bring their own I th- I couldn't tell what it was. It seemed like it was movie snacks. Okay. Like I thought it could have been popcorn. James thinks it was too crinkly to be popcorn. Yeah. It was some kind of like plastic, you know, like candy or something. The
2: whole like yeah. every thirty seconds you yeah. could hear this crinkle sound. Elm- the last
0: time I went to Elmwood I saw a Sanctuary and someone did that the entire runtime. Start oh to my end. god.
1: Oh wow. Yeah. It's like it's hard because you know, you don't have to see a drama in the theaters, but sometimes you really want the fully immersive emotional experience.
2: Yeah, and this is a beautiful movie to look at, Yeah, too. Just the sh- like shots of New York at mm-hmm. night. It's just stunning. And then you have this crinkling sound coming from the left. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and then at some point I was like, I can't take it anymore. And I relocated up into the top of the theater, but then I sat behind two people that were like, Kind of very restless, and that was distracting. And then there were people behind me talking, and I was like, "Okay, is (laughs) everyone
2: in this theater a mouth (laughs) breather? Like,
1: what is going on?"
0: The vibes are in shambles at the AMC Elmwood.
1: (laughs) That's right, but they did stop at the last like half hour, um, which was the you know the movie is really building emotionally to this like catharsis of them meeting.
2: That section of the movie is great, and uh, the thing I wanted to give a shout out to, because I really liked it too, was the Arthur character, the husband. I haven't been that moved by a character that's just like a good partner. He's just Mm -hmm. like a solid dude. Like I was getting emotional, like, damn, he is so understanding and supportive and just a great partner. And I don't know, something it was seeing him handle this situation so maturely was like, causing me to get emotional like, yeah you know and it is it's really good
1: it's not just maturity of like oh this doesn't bother me and i'm you know i am completely fine with you having this like deep deep connection with this person that i can never understand it's like he is insecure about that relationship and he's kind of asking her for like affirmation but but he handles his insecurity in a very mature way that allows her to like have autonomy and fully feel this connection that she has with Haesung. So it was it was really a beautiful, very tender movie. I mean, it's like the summary of the plot is basically nothing happens, but it's like a really, really deep. I, I love film. those stories
2: where like nothing. Really happens, but kind of everything. There's like a whole world of emotion between these two people, and it's just subtly mm-hmm. getting at that. Uh, I think
0: I struggle with that a lot. Really, I, I'm getting flashbacks to After Sun last year, where like Ugh. every time I read like glowing reviews yeah. of Past Lives, I'm like, Will I get why this is significant?
1: I don't know that I would necessarily recommend it to you, yeah. but it, it it's a real it's a beautiful movie, but it's definitely like slow, tender. Mature, you know, like there are no like emotional blow ups.
2: No, and there's it's all little glances and little touches and moments of not saying anything, but you know, what's like the visual and like editing style? It's
1: very minimalistic. I don't want to say bland visual style. No, I mean it's it's, it's rich. gorgeous. Yeah, it's, it's
0: rich. It's, it's understated.
1: Yeah, it is it's understated. It's not yeah, it's, not, it's not, not about the right. It's not about the aesthetic. So of I the don't movie. know if you
0: would like right, it. Right, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It sounds like something I will catch up with at the end of the year because I'll be reading all these lists about like yeah. probably the best movies of the year. And, yeah. You
1: know. Honestly, I would say not dissimilar to after sun although after sun had like more stylistic moments and this really doesn't it's pretty naturalistic but i mean it's beautifully and it doesn't
2: really have any emotional payoff really like Mm -hmm. the payoff is just kind of them sitting in silence with each other and you kind of understand what they're thinking uh Mm-hmm. So if that sounds like something that would do it for you then yeah, go see it. I do think it's really good
1: yeah yeah I th- i I thought it was beautiful um, so Brittany, what have you been watching?
3: I really haven't been watching too much, but I did watch um there's something wrong with the children Oh, <laughs> oh I wanted
2: to see that uh <laughs> there is something wrong with the children something's there. wrong
3: with the children for sure <laughs> so. It starts off where it looks like it would be a movie that was shot with like $100, the way that the credits start rolling in. And then once I started watching, I'm like, God, this fucking, what, is, what song is this? And it was like Sisters of Mercy's "More" was playing, <laughs> which did not fit into the movie at all. <laughs> at all. It was weird. I kept thinking, like, is my Spotify like running in the background? It, it felt so <laughs> weird. And it comes back at the end but like opening with it oh so it's this family in the woods there's like two couples one has kids and they all go on this hike while they're you know out on their little like vacation this camp (laughs) and there's like this run down area that has this kind of well in it and they're kind of looking at it like oh no don't fall in the well but come take a look and the kids, like, come out of that and they're kind of weird. Like, they're not the same. (laughs) So there's something in the well that is, like, changing the children. And then they start doing weird shit. Like, they start whispering to each other and they start, like... It's two kids. It's a little boy and a little girl, brother and sister. And they, like, start speaking in a weird language. And the two adults that don't have kids are left to take care of these kids while the parents go and do something else. So... The woman is very skeptical of them. She's like, these kids are weird and her like <laughs> her husband, wrong with them. there's something wrong with those children. <laughs> and her husband's like, you know, hey guys, like trying to be like the cool like uncle dude and oh, they fucking terrorize them. But I don't understand what was wrong with the children because like I guess they were possessed maybe, like there's something that possesses them. But it's like they disappear and come back. Like they'll go down the well and they'll come back like nothing happened. But they're still like possessed. I don't think it's supposed to make sense. Right? But it just didn't. It felt strange. Hmm. It did not make any sense. I watched it. It's a fun watch. Like I would recommend anyone watching it. But... It felt fucking messy and bizarre. Yeah,
0: Uh, Boomer gave it a four-star glowing review on SwampFlix.com. Really? (laughs) I saw that. Yeah. Yeah. He also went on a screed about younger audiences' attention spans and how people who were confused by it weren't paying attention. (laughs) (laughs) So he puts you on blast Yeah, yeah, Yeah. He's he's
3: absolutely right. (laughs) (laughs) I
2: think think that might have been it. But I was...
3: Because I kept, like, thinking... And and also, I'm kind of slow sometimes with movies where i'll watch it and then everyone's like wow i got this this and this out of it i'm like nope not me (laughs) and then i'll watch it again i'm like okay i see that now yeah Yeah, it's fun it's just it feels strange like it feels like like i felt like i shouldn't have been watching it and it also felt like i had watched it before at the same Hmm. time it just creeped me out like beyond the movie just the thought of it existing and me watching it
0: It looked pretty like generic Bloomhouse to me. Just when I saw, just like a pretty like standard issue horror. I
3: like all Bloomhouse horror movies because they're they're always gonna be good. Like in one way or another, there's gonna be like some mystery to it or some something fucking weird. Um, But yeah, I don't know. It's kind of cool watching uh, kids be little shits too, and yeah, like creepy children (laughs) and dying. You know, not, not they don't die, but like. Getting, like, torn up a little bit.
1: yeah Maybe you know? they drank some fertilizer water down in the well. <laughs> Something. You know, it's, it's like it's groundwater. Like fucking entity. Nasty Maybe stuff. baby
0: Jessica possessed them. Well, the,
3: yeah. <laughs> there's a lot of movies about, and we'll talk about one later today, but there's a lot of movies coming out about just, like, weird babies, weird kids. Mm.
1: Yeah, there's a movie. It's a movie. Baby Ruby came out. Uh, I watched uh, Baby yeah. Ruby. Too. Oh, you did? Yeah. Okay, I'm afraid to watch that because I heard it's just a baby crying for the Ooh. entire movie. It and just. It I don't know. Seems about that. hard. Yeah. yeah.
3: All of it is bizarre. Where this it's this poor woman who just gave birth to like a baby, mm-hmm. and she starts to like it. it kind of taps in, I think, to like postpartum. Yeah. Where she's like, "Oh my god, my husband's gonna try to like kill her and sacrifice her." And then she's protecting the baby and the baby's just constantly crying. And I'm like, and this poor woman's like uh, body. That all, sounds
2: like some torture porn. Yeah. Oh. Oh,
3: yeah, but it it shows like a lot of shows like after a woman is pregnant, like your body doesn't snap right back up. Right. And it kind of shows that. Like she's wearing like those like, you know, postpartum diapers right, and stuff like diapers. that. And she's just like she just looks like she got hit by a truck and it's yeah. like help. Damn. It's uh it's good though. Yeah. I liked it. Oh okay. Baby all Ruby. Right.
0: Bonus recommendation.
3: Bonus recommendation. <laughs> so uh, so Brandon, what have you been watching?
0: Uh, I will vouch for something Boomer gave a four-star review for. I watched Blind Willow Sleeping Woman. Ooh, oh. Which nice. I actually think Hannah would probably like the Ooh. most. Um, it just showed up on Hoopla this week. So it's free if you have a library card. It is a French illustration of... Haruki Murakami short stories that are published like <gasps> cool. from the 80s until the early 2000s. So it's like a wide spanning of his work.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I've only read Wind Up Bird Chronicles and maybe a couple short stories. And even I was like, oh, I recognize that trope and that trope. Mm-hmm. I guess I've also seen like adaptations for like Burning was yeah. one. Um, oh, and then Drive My Car was also a Murakami short story as well. Mm. So what's interesting to me about this, because I'm not as well versed as Boomer. If you want to read about how the various short stories he's written over his career are adapted into like one continuous anthology here. Um, Boomer's got a breakdown of like all the different publications and like what each story means within that Mm -hmm. like adaptation sense. But for me, what shocked me was that I've seen two really great animated film this year. One was Suzume from Makoto Shinkai and one was this one. And they're both about the 2011 tsunami um, the like 311 tsunami in Japan. Mm-hmm. And they're both about preventing the next disaster like that by stopping a giant worm that is powered by people's like psychic energy. Wow. It's just a, such a weird coincidence. Maybe there's some kind of cultural trope I'm right. missing that they both came up with that idea separately.
1: Or maybe there is some entity trying to tell us something. Yeah, the,
0: the worm <laughs> is communicating <laughs> wor- to us through art. <laughs> the
1: worm is coming.
0: Uh, In this one, it is like a collection of short stories, but they happen to about three different people who are connected through their job and through a romantic relationship. It's chaptered, and there are two magical animals. One is this cat that escapes and becomes this sort of like spirit that people sort of chase around and meet weird characters in the wilderness while chasing the cat. And the other is this character named Frog. Frog. Who is a giant talking frog uh, (laughs) who just visits these businessmen and like strong arms them into doing the right thing and then eventually like preventing the next earthquake, tsunami, uh, local apocalypse uh, from happening. And uh, I would say, compared to Suzume, which is a very like big teen emotions, YA, like adventure kind of story, this is very melancholy and adult and still very expressive in the animation, though. It's a lot of like, dense layering of, scri- of like hand scribbles on top of like almost rotoscoping style flat mm-hmm. illustration and i don't know i just thought it was very good and I, the two movies communicate with each other in a very strange way mm-hmm. that i did not expect
2: yeah
0: so yeah watch that on hoopla I guess cool. <laughs> yeah that
2: sounds great especially
0: awesome. since suzume is not available to watch at home at all yet even though i saw it yeah. around the time of french quarter fest so like I don't know, if you want a little appetizer, this one's out right. there. You That's know?
1: the chair movie, right?
0: Yeah. That okay. one has a talking chair. Yeah. This one has a talking frog. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Hopefully, you can keep those straight as the year goes on. <laughs> what about you, James? I put on a movie the other night that actually I think Brittany would like if you haven't seen it yet. Yeah. Called called uh, Stalking Laura from 1993 with uh, Brooke Shields and starring Richard Thomas, who- he played like the main protagonist in It.
3: I remember this movie. Yeah,
2: it's a made for TV yeah. based on a true story from mm-hmm. the 80s of this young woman who goes to work in Silicon Valley for like this tech firm. And immediately her coworker is like, I'm in love with you. Like, I have to take you out. And she's like stopping his advances. And it within the first 20 minutes of the movie, it quickly escalates to like, him standing outside of her yoga class, him like finding out where she lives and showing up at her house, like sending her gifts on Christmas. And the first like half of the movie, you're like, man, this is escalating very quickly. I don't know where it's going to go. And I I didn't know the true story that's based on, but then he starts stockpiling an arsenal. He gets fired from his job for, you know, harassment essentially. But They let him off kind of easy so you can find another job. But anyway, it's based on a true story. And this guy showed up back to his job with a bunch of guns and killed like eight people, shot her in the arm, and she survived. And he ended up going to prison for life. So when I started it, it was kind of getting late at night. And I was like, okay, this is going to be a bad I was expecting a so bad, it's good, sort of made for TV thing. And it was actually, first of all, just very well done and truly harrowing and terrifying. Like, not in a, a horror movie way. It was just like, yep, this is what creepy stalkers do and- apparently everything he does in this movie he did in real life yeah and he stalked her for like four years and her like work
3: did not protect her or help her in any way but she helped push real laura yes like a bunch of laws to help protect like women in the workplace
1: yeah they after that california passed a bunch of anti-stalking yeah
2: but it it was just crazy because as it's going on like this is actually good and terrifying and then like The mass shooting scene takes up (laughs) the last third of the, and you're like, okay, well, this could never be made again. Like, I don't know. Just we've had so many mass shoes, and the way it's sort of done in this movie Mm -hmm. is not really like glorifying it necessarily, but pretty matter of factly kind of showing what happened. But there is like music that heightens the tension, and it does play out kind of like a cat and mouse horror. So, you know, it feels a little, little icky, but I I was just like, and Brooke Shields is great in it. And she's, you know, she survives this tragedy. I don't know. So I just thought it was like one of the best made for TV movies I've ever seen. Like it was really good. And the Richard Thomas guy in here is an absolute creep. Uh, He plays that character so well. And um, yeah, I don't know if you're into like made for TV movies from the 90s. This is like an actually... This is, like, actually a good one.
3: Yeah. It's, like, watching how helpless she is. Like, it's, like, what can this woman do? Like, even if she would quit her job and, like, leave, like, that dude would find her. Like, nobody would give a shit enough to, like, say, okay, like, we'll help you. Just kind of, like, eh, it is what it is.
2: And she constantly <laughs> says, like, I'm not going to be a victim. Like, she's a badass in this movie. But, yeah, it was pretty harrowing stuff. Yeah. I know Hana had to, like... Research would actually happen because she did not could not handle the tension. (laughs) Yeah,
1: I like hate movies about where people are sabotaging other people. And I also hate movies about stalking. It really freaks me out. So I had to just fully dissociate from this movie and just like, yeah, I was reading about the plot synopsis and the actual case as it was happening so I could prepare myself. Yeah, it was like much better directed than it had any right to be and it was like so upsetting and horrifying and even more like even more so that it is based on a real like event and that it happened for like she was stalked for like four years yeah you know it it does a really good job of showing all of these gaps in protection that she can't really like overcome like She's complaining to HR constantly. They're like, oh, well, you know, do you always smile at everyone you meet? Maybe, you know, maybe it's your fault. And then eventually they are like making him go to counseling and they have this, they they like sit down and talk to him and he basically says he's going to kill the HR lady if they fire him. And she's like, what? And then they fire him, but they fire him for like poor work performance. So he gets another job and then. He's still showing up at her workplace, and her job is like, well, he doesn't work for us anymore, so there's nothing we can do about it. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, I was—I think the mass shooting scene, it, I think it was a little stylized. Like, there's part a part where you well, shoot someone, and they like fly through a window, <laughs> you know? Yeah, I—I like-
2: was thinking about that a lot during that scene because, like, we've had a lot of movies about mass shootings, but and like, there was the movie Elephant. Yeah. Essentially about Columbine and
1: Polytechnic.
2: Polytech and it feels like the modern approach to handling those scenes is cold realism yeah. and this kind of stylized with the music yeah and the over the top kind of action movie violence makes it look cool a little bit. Makes it look co- cool a little bit and I feel like that we will never see yeah. again. So it's kind of interesting to watch it as an artifact of that. But yeah, I was expecting some like camp, like, oh, Stalking Laura is going to be a, I mean, I knew it wasn't going to be silly, but I was expecting camp and it wasn't camp at all. It was pretty harrowing. Yeah,
1: definitely played for horror.
2: Yeah. like
3: Lifetime classic. Like, Lifetime had this, I don't know, I guess like from maybe 1990 to early 2000s where, all films are like here's how women have been shit on yeah. here's like how like they dealt with workplace violence stalking domestic abuse getting their kids taken away from them for no reason and how the cops never fucking helped with anything and how like any of the powers that be never helped and i don't, I don't know if i it kind of interesting because like it's not like that now like it's almost this going movie, backwards now the way lifetime is yeah
2: i mean this movie is definitely like pretty feminist i would say and yeah, remember, I don't know. It was Burning Bed a Lifetime. No, that Farrah Foss. It was, movie. but it was
3: featured on Lifetime a lot. The Burning yeah. Bed is.
2: Yeah. So it was like
0: um, a woman scoring the Betty Broderick story. Yes. It was yes. like a CBS movie that yes. then played on Lifetime
2: like every week. Yeah, yeah. I'm surprised we've never done a Lifetime episode besides that Betty Broderick movie. Oh man, it's I true. actually was thinking after seeing this, I was like, "Ooh, made for my next topic. I'll do <laughs> either made for TV or I Lifetime." Brittany's allowed <laughs> seven picks. Right, everyone else gets one. (laughs) I know you're an expert on the genre, so
3: they're all on Tubi. That's the thing.
2: This was a Tubi watch.
0: You need those commercial breaks to really like simulate the experience. (laughs) But
2: and oh, and that was the other thought I had was the commercial breaks like worked really well. And like, yeah, we watched some stuff on Tubi where you're like immersed in the movie, and then it's like a Colgate commercial, and it just takes you out of it. But something about the pacing of this, like, it obviously was a made for yeah. tv and there's like perfect breaks yeah. for the commercial and then you like are back in it a minute later it just like i don't know i thought that was interesting yeah no one's like
0: working at tubi and trying to pick the perfect place to like insert a commercial for dog day afternoon or something <laughs> right <laughs> this is totally
1: gonna throw off the inertia of the scene right yeah. uh,
0: but for those lifetime movies those breaks are already like built in yeah so yeah not. perfect Well, I have to throw an infraction on the field, because James brought in a movie that wasn't from 2023, and everyone else is here. Really? (laughs) No, I'm joking. Uh, No, today we are celebrating new releases, though. I think this episode's necessary. We're about halfway into 2023, and lately, I think nine out of our last 10 episodes have been Criterion Channel topics, and then we start the show being like, there's nothing in theaters right now. I'm so bored. Everything's superheroes. (laughs) so this episode's kind of a corrective it's like what are some new movies we're excited to see from this year let's like actually seek out stuff we're interested in instead of complaining about The Little Mermaid even though none of us have seen it which we did a few (laughs) weeks back so yeah I'm excited to get into some new stuff and not just Horty toity Criterion channel art which I have been enjoying discussing but you know you gotta shake it up every now and then yep
1: that's right
0: and all that's coming up to you
1: right now what do you know Television, TV, major network.
2: I've been waiting
1: for so long. You know they thought I was crazy? A television special? But I think they're crazy. Give me pity. But I swear, for you, this special won't end until I'm flat out bashed in Croaking and backstroking, depleted and mistreated, begging each and every one of you to set me free!
0: I'm going to start by talking about a different movie than the one I picked, very briefly. But uh, I went to Overlook earlier this year, we did a whole episode on Mm -hmm. it, and I saw this movie called Late Night with the Devil that is a feature-length episode of a Johnny Carson style talk show. And on the talk show, they interview this girl who's supposedly possessed with the devil. And they try to exorcise the demon out of her. And the demon takes over the talk show broadcast. Cool. And it's in real time. And it cuts back and forth um, on commercial breaks. It kind of cheats on its premise a little bit. And there's these behind-the-scenes shots of the drama going on backstage as the satanic figure is taking over this like television broadcast. And it's like a spoof of you know vintage TV. And then the advertising for the movie I did pick, which was Give Me Pity, from Amanda Kramer, who's a director I really like, looked pretty similar. Uh, it's a one-woman show from the disco era, so instead of you know a Johnny Carson type thing, it's more like you know the Sonny and Cher variety show, or Donna Summer had a one-woman TV special, or like different pop stars would just like have a Saturday night block of time, two hours. Vaudeville style comedy where there's like skits, poems, dance numbers, and like a big hurrah at the end where everything comes back and like shares the stage. So, this is a feature length spoof of one of those. And there's a lot of like tape warp, demonic intrusion on the proceedings. Like, there's like a, a horror conceit on top of the spoof. This is not as straightforward as Late Night with the Devil, though. Like, I feel like the marketing is promises that, you know. The main character is named Sissy St. Clair. Uh, she's played by Sophie von Heselberg, who, uh, if, while you're looking at her, you're like, wow, that looks a lot like Bette Midler. Yeah. <laughs> and then uh, I found out after the movie was over that she's Bette Midler's daughter.
3: Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh, I was cool. like, okay.
0: I thought it was like a stylistic reference because Bette Midler has like her stand up type concerts she's are basically one like woman that. specials. Yeah. yeah.
3: She's, I've been having Bette Midler as a theme for an episode in my back pocket oh, for great. a while. So I love watch her.
0: Out. Also, I remember from listening to a lot of Bette Midler records where she does these like one woman type shows that she always does Sophie yeah. Tucker bits, and she likes saying Sophie a lot in those bits. She goes Soph, and uh, I don't know her her daughter's name is Sophie. Apparently. I wonder
1: if she yeah. had
3: like it'd be interesting to see if like she had any input from her mom on some of this. It would be
0: you know. It seems period accurate to when Bette yeah. Midler was super famous, like. I want to say this is like very late 70s or very early 80s. They might have even given a year, but I can't remember if I took a note of that or not. So Sissy St. Clair is a narcissist because she is a famous person in Hollywood. And throughout her special where she's doing these like actual disco songs that you kind of remember hearing on AM radio, but like the lyrics are changed. So like the big song that she keeps doing is making it. Which is a disco hit, but all the lyrics are just slightly off. So it it feels familiar, but unfamiliar at the same time. Um, As she's doing these sticky vaudevillian bits, she keeps seeing this masked demonic figure out of the corner of her eye. And every time he shows up, there's this like tape warp, psychedelic Mm -hmm. wash that goes over the disco ball kind of glamour of, of the soundstage where all this is set. And as the movie goes along, it becomes apparent that it's not a slasher. In the way that you would think, based on that setup, it just becomes something much stranger and I think more personal to what Amanda Kramer does as a director. Earlier films include Lady World, which is about a house full of young 20-something women who during some kind of natural disaster like an earthquake get trapped in this house a uh, skin style and like don't leave it for like weeks at a time and all turn on each other in this like Lord of the Flies kind yeah. of like savage fight for power and control it's about competition among young women specifically. Um, and then also last year, Han and I both really enjoyed please, baby, please, mm-hmm. uh, which was kind of a high style philosophical examination of masculinity and what the performance of that is. And like basically the um, power of masculinity as an aesthetic. And this one, I think returns to the themes of lady world a little bit in that it is very psychological and about, sissy saint Clair's mind and the more she talks about herself and the talks about fame and how envious she is of other women it becomes apparent that the demon in the room is not the killer with a knife that's like staring at her it's like her own damaged los angeles brain which wants to become famous no matter what is jealous of all other women is jealous of God himself because (laughs) Jesus Christ is the most famous person who ever lived. And she wants to be that level of famous. Like it's never enough. And, uh, I think maybe even like three quarters through it, even kind of drops the slasher conceit and just becomes about like how fucked up her brain is because of how she was raised. Uh, and a lot of the thematic stuff that keeps coming up are these like sort of feminine rituals and these like feminine rites of passage, like her learning, how to put on makeup her learning how to pick out a pretty dress for herself and how envious she is of other women who seem to like come by that more naturally and how envious she is of women who are more famous than her and wants to basically wants to like be the top banana in in Los Angeles. (laughs) And it's a deeply strange movie. It's really beautiful. It's a little loose and slow at times because it's mimicking what an actual minute to minute television broadcast would be like, including some really hack jokes about like validated parking and like, just like punchlines that don't land on purpose. But there's always some weird twist at the end of every skit that curdles and becomes uncomfortable. And I think almost becomes like a diary of like the worst thoughts that I'm guessing both Amanda Kramer and her main collaborator, which is uh, Sophie von Hasselberg, you know, Created in this one character who commands all the attention because she couldn't stand for anyone else to take <laughs> any of the uh spotlight away from her i've seen a lot of divisive stuff about every Amanda Kramer movie, um, and we didn't really talk about this movie when it ended, so i don't know where everyone is on this, but I, I really enjoyed it
1: i mean I, I guess my like the summary that I had was like a, a disco special that is just like totally that was, like, left out in the sun and, like, rotting and melting. And I (laughs) thought, like, I really, I was just getting so much, like, flop sweat from her, which I really enjoyed, like, her utter desperation to, like, maintain beauty and order throughout. And it's just, like, the, the threat to all of that is this kind of, like, her own internal, like, desperation. And it's just, like eating away at all of like the beauty throughout the film like there are a lot of those feminine rituals and they're all kind of made grotesque or like become violent like there's you know that the scene where she's shaving her legs and she the razor slips and she's bleeding and then like a plastic surgery scene where she's like made grotesque and then that she's a monologue about a dress and like how she kind of like shreds it up so there's this like this desire to be a desirable object but all of this like violence that's kind of churning under that i don't know i, I thought it was a very interesting movie
2: i uh i really didn't like this movie <laughs> i really didn't like it. like I was quiet after it ended. I could tell it was tense in there. <laughs> yeah, and I, like we were leaving, and I was like, so, what'd you think? And I was like, D- do you- I could save it for the podcast. Well, when you said it, you said like, oh,
0: I'll save it for the pod. But usually when we say that, it's like we're really excited and don't want to like, over-talk something. Oh. You left... Kind of tense, and you said save it for the pod, and it felt
2: like you have explaining
0: to do later. Like I want you to report <laughs> on my desk. Right? <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I I was thinking about. It, I was like, man, that was like probably one of the worst movies I've seen this year. I
0: completely disagree, but
2: no. I well, and I know this you, is
0: like catnip you, to me,
2: but yeah. Um, <laughs> I guess my issue with it, you know, I get the like adult swim kind of vibe of yeah. it was a big thing. I kept thinking of and like, I like surrealism and i like the nightmarish shadow over the proceedings um my main issue i think it was all to me it was all style and no actual substance like i know you're talking about like oh this character study about fame and like when it got to her monologue at the end about the coat that her friend had that she was jealous this 15 minute I was so bored. I was like, I don't care about this person. This is not a deep interesting character study. It is the aesthetic is very pretty. Like I like the disco aesthetic with the like nightmare surrealism. Like again, that worked for me, but all the things that I liked about it were the surface of it. When it came down to the actual watching of it and engaging with it, like it was the longest hour and 20 minute movie. Like, it felt longer than some three-hour movies. It just like it drags, and it's boring for long stretches, and it's not particularly engaging or funny for long stretches. And, like, at the end, I felt kind of angry at it. And I was, like, kind of numb. I was like, okay, that was a pretty thing to look at, I guess. Yeah, I just, like, did not engage with it on any level outside of the visual style.
0: And I think the visual style, kind of what I was saying about the other movie and how like that is a single conceit film. And like, this is what a horror movie breaking out in the middle of a television broadcast would look like. I feel like this only entertains that for maybe the first 15 or 20 minutes. And like, there are a lot of movies like this lately. Uh, There's the WNUF Halloween special there's that movie Great Choice, which is a short about a Red Lobster commercial that turns into a horror thing in the middle of it. Uh, and Tim and Eric is a great, you know, comparison point. I like. I do
2: like this stuff,
0: but I feel like all that stuff stops at the conceit. It's like this is us recreating this vintage television broadcast style and pointing out how awkward it is, and like how there are these like kind of weird moments that should be edited out, but they kind of just like linger a beat too long, and how funny and ironic that is. But I feel like this is the one that pushes past that first layer of irony and artifice and actually becomes almost like a diary confessional of, like, intrusive thoughts. And it's like, these are the worst things I think about my career and my art and how desperate I am for other people to, like, tell me how great I am. So I I found it very ugly and, like, self-hating in a way that felt very personal
3: I didn't pick up on any of that. But I enjoyed it.
0: <laughs> okay. Like I
3: like the style of it because I'm like a big goober for like one woman shows and those like, mm-hmm. you know, big productions from like the 70s and 80s. Like I've watched like share specials like so much yeah. where I'm like, ooh, what she's gonna wear next. What song's coming on next? What she's gonna do with her hair. <laughs> like all the different styles and things. I was just looking at it like, oh, it's like I'm watching a show. But I didn't pick up on like anything beneath it. <laughs> um, but that also could be my personal problem. I
0: mean, that stuff's all there. <laughs> but like, I the, had a fun time. The costume changes and the set design yeah, and like I her love hair, that. that's like a lot of the art of the film is that visual panache. I know? mean, her essentially, hair. I agree oh, with, man.
2: I think I agree with Brittany. Like, I liked the look of it. But just like Brittany was saying, like, she did all this like undercurrent stuff that Y'all seem to have gotten a lot out of it. Like I got what it was trying to do there and I, it did nothing for me. So I feel like we're running the full spectrum of this (laughs) movie. Like I got what it was trying to do. And I thought it was like very bland and uninteresting. And especially at the, when it goes full surreal nightmare, I really enjoyed it. And then we get that fucking monologue. The monologue
0: is so so much better than the surreal nightmare stuff. Like I feel like that tape warp kind of like psychedelia it's been done so many times especially since tim and eric has been on the air it's been done to death and like that's the foot in the door to sell the movie as a trailer and like i think it's so smart that it drops that and goes a step further and becomes something like uglier about itself
2: but i just because it she never felt like a real person i wasn't like engaged with her character so now i have to sit and listen to her tell a story about a coat that she It's liked. a pretty dress. Thank a you. pretty dress, whatever, for, <laughs> right. for 20 minutes. And it's and a I'm, great monologue. <laughs> it's not, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, whoa, this is, like, the worst thing this kind of movie could be, it's doing right now, and it's boring. It was just boring me to tears, and I was so happy when it was over. It's like, oh, thank God, we can go home now.
1: I mean, <laughs> I think she doesn't exactly feel like a real person, because she is the manifestation of, like... Complete like narcissism and also like self awareness and terror. Like, she is, she's like this little distillation of all of the desires to be seen and like affirmed, and also like the terror of being perceived. And that monologue is like, I don't think you're supposed to feel, I don't think you're necessarily supposed to feel sympathy. For her. Like, I think that she is like rooting up this ugliness and feelings of neglect and possessiveness over beauty. And it's like she has this friend that is willing to share with her. And like, she can't see community in that. It's like she wants to become her friend that has all of these beautiful things. And then once she can't have that. Like, you know, she she takes the pretty dress and then she has to give it back to her friend and she just, like, destroys it. Like, I think it's supposed to be, like, she is the manifestation of all of this ugliness and selfishness. And I thought that, that it was, like, a very interesting aesthetic vehicle for those feelings of, like, excess and anxiety.
0: It's not about this one specific character necessarily, even though it's a character study. It's about this archetype of like people who move to L.A. to make it, and how petty and pathetic that personality. Yeah, type is. all sissy Sinclair.
3: Yeah,
2: <laughs> yeah. No, I, I get it. I don't th- think the movie is worth the like analysis that y'all are really getting. I think it's a pretty shallow. Like, yeah, people go to Hollywood that are vapid and they're obsessed with fame. Okay, like I, I got that from watching like The Shallows recently. Like, that's a pretty surface level. Thing And I don't think the movie really gets deep into the heart of the psychology of the person that wants to be famous. I I just don't think it's like as deep as y'all are giving it credit.
0: What I would say is that every single movie we picked, I think, has, if if it has a connecting theme, because we didn't like pick movies that communicate with each other on purpose. But there is a fear of mediocrity and a fear of being forgotten Mm, and not making a mark on the world. Whoa, Brandon. And, like, abandoning, basically, yourself to make a big move so that people, like, remember you after you're dead. Or, if not for selfish reasons, maybe to, like, make an impact on the world after you're dead. Holy shit. And this is, like, the ugliest, most pathetic version of that. Yeah. But it's really it's not LeMay. <laughs> yeah, well, it's also very pretty.
3: <laughs> I loved, like, the jumpsuits and the background dancers and their, like, cool bike shorts and t-shirts it yeah. was cool it, that was very cool
0: all style. and the vaseline lens yeah oh yeah every like every beam <laughs> of light off the disco balls has this like mm-hmm. uh refracted um effect yeah just, like, cuts across the screen like laser beams
3: they did a good job of it looking like it was from like 1982 yeah the
0: camera movements mimic oh that my god
3: style. there's a show that was called like star stairway to stardom and it was pe- It was like this basement. It was a show that would play on like access cable in New York. And I'm obsessed with it. Like I like find old YouTube videos of just like people doing like their little razzle dazzle <laughs> tap dance. Like being like, this is how I'm gonna get famous. And it reminded me so much of this movie. Oh,
1: yeah. There's a great moment it. too. There's so much of that disco ball like gleaming, and then there's one scene with a knife and it's gleaming and exactly (laughs) the same way, which was like, I mean, I think it was a beautiful movie, but there are like a lot of fun aesthetic details that like support the foundation of the film too.
0: I want to read this quote from an interview where she talks about filming inside because she made this and Please Baby Please around the same time. And they both have this very hermetic like soundstage look to them. But I just found this quote very funny i would love to never be on location i would love to be like peter greenway making the cook the thief his wife and her lover or paul schrader making mishima life in four chapters i would love to make sets for the rest of my life i love control i don't understand terrence malick i don't know what the fuck (laughs) he's doing out there waiting for the clouds to roll by well good luck to him i don't want to know if it's raining and i don't want to know if it's sunny i don't want to think about anything that god has anything to do with I want to be God in that moment and say the lights go on and the lights go off. Wow. That's a great quote. Wow. (laughs) I feel that in the character too. Yeah, totally. It's this like narcissistic artist impulse that I at least feel that the director is reflecting something about herself in this creation. And like that level of id and that level of like DIY hands on I'm crafting my own little artificial world is like what I'm always looking for in art.
1: And and the other thing is like it's like Sissy Sinclair so wants to be in control but she also wants the love and affirmation of other people and it's like you can have total control over the art that you make but not the response to it. So there are all of these like scenes where she's reaching out to other people for validation and she's getting back bloody letters, insults like unfavorable impression by her friend you know so i think that that tension is really interesting too like i want to be god but the people that follow me may like despise me
0: yeah yeah i think movies are like i don't know a lot of people say you know you write the movie you film it and then you edit it so you make the movie three times and like I don't know, marketing and audience reception is, like, the fourth time that gets made. Yeah. Because there's a whole, like, setup of expectation and how people react to it that changes the work again. Yeah. So, yeah, I I could see making personal art like this where it's just a few people with, like, no money and then it going out in the world and, like, I don't know, not getting... I don't think she's getting as loud of a response as she deserves. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> to be honest like yeah. uh her work is very good there are people who are interested in her but i don't hear her name bandied about as like one of the directors that's like exciting to watch right now and it, to me it's her and bertrand mendicho who did the wild boys and um the kate bush movie uh, after blue like those are the two directors i'm like most excited to see what they're working on right now but it's because they're making these little like highly artificial highly ironic but sensual psychedelic works. I'm very excited about seeing more work from her. James is not.
2: Not really. But <laughs> I, I definitely get the sense like if you like her other stuff, you're just yeah. a sucker for it and you're going to like what she puts out. And I just like, I don't think it's for me.
0: He's looking for a wife, like actively seeking. I'm so sp- uh no, not sweet. Evil. He's got an enormous wedding boner. Oi! cool. I'll take the piss out of him. For no, it. no, no, you cannot. I, I, forbid you. Okay, guys, we need to take a breather here. I'm a
2: dropout. I'm hardly prime wedding material. True, that is true.
1: No, no,
0: no, no. You, 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 you. You're pretty. You're thin. You're charming. Not like that Seema's daughter with her giant ankles.
1: Ma, Ma that cold. is not okay. That's hard. Why? Why?
0: So I looked each of these movies up. I cross-referenced both. Rotten Tomatoes and Metacritic, the best movies of the year so far. Give Me Pity was not reviewed by enough people to make (laughs) either of those lists. Like it wasn't even like Uh, way down or anything. It was just like not there. Yeah. But the other three are in the top 50 of the year so far, especially for Rotten Tomatoes. uh, They're a little higher up. So we're going to go with those numbers because it makes us sound smarter. So uh, Mm
1: -hmm.
0: number 38 for one of the best movies of 2023 so far was Hannah's pick.
1: Alright, so my pick was Polite Society, which was directed by Anita Manzoor. It is about a young Indian girl living in England. It's set in England. Um, a young uh, Indian girl named uh, Ria Khan, who wants to be a stunt woman—that That is her life's goal. She has a sister named Lena, who is in art school, but dropped out. And they're both kind of like outcasts a little bit and uh their family is seems to be trying to like inculcate them into the uh, like upper echelons of the indian community within england so lena is approached by a young doctor named salim who's very popular amongst the women he's like doing this genetic research to help babies And he begins courting her with the approval of both families. And Rhea is like really upset by this. She wants her sister to go back to art school, uh, partially because like she sees both of their passions as like kind of intertwined. Like she doesn't want her sister to give up on her art because she doesn't want to give up on her pursuit of becoming a stunt woman even though she's like met with all of these all these obstacles so she starts hatching a plan to sabotage her sister's budding relationship with this man um she has two friends who are really just a pleasure in this movie her her two little like freaky friends are so fun so they go from like trying to negotiate Lena going back to art school and like leaving this guy to like trying to dig up dirt on this guy to like planting evidence of infidelity. She like <laughs> fills these condoms <laughs> up to the brim with moisturizer. and Way like, too much. <laughs> <he> fake <laughs> cum so in those much. condoms. Yeah, there are like five just filled to the brim <laughs> with moisturizer. <laughs> and then she's like placing them very carefully around his room. So everybody else is like really frustrated with her. She has this like wild imagination. And it's not clear whether she is really doing the right thing for her sister or if she's just kind of trying to sabotage her sister finding this other path into polite society and in, in like a framework that she doesn't agree with. This really reminded me of like Scott Pilgrim, Everything Everywhere All at Once. It was like, I thought this movie was pretty good. I thought it was fine. Yeah. I don't know if it was for me necessarily. Like I feel like if I was a teenage girl... I would be like, hell yeah, these girls are like kicking ass. You know, they're a couple of like fun fight scenes, a very like beautifully choreographed dance scene. But I would say that those other films kind of reach absurdity and like an emotional tenor that this one doesn't get to. It's fun, but I kind of wanted more depth of emotion or like, more of that fight choreography like there are some there's some pretty brutal fights like especially between the two sisters where like lena's bashing ria's head into a mirror and like there's some real blood and gore happening but i don't know i guess it just didn't transcend to the next level for me yeah
0: if there's like two emotional cores it's like The thing I mentioned earlier, which is, like, fear of mediocrity. They're both artists in their own way. One's a martial artist and one's, like, a painter. Um, And they're both, like, afraid that they're not good enough to make it. Yeah. And then the bigger one is just their sisters who love each other very much. And, like, it seems like they're going to grow apart because one's getting married. Yeah. And the younger one's desperate to stop that from happening. Yeah. And I thought the sister stuff was very cute. Like... Yeah. Them doing bits and being goofy at the start was, like... The best moments of the movie for me, yeah. And then them getting back to together at the end felt very, like good. Like it was very satisfying to see them reunited.
3: I loved the whole wedding scene. yeah, yeah. Like, that was so good. Um, especially like the cool like Bollywood dance number. Mm-hmm. I was kind of hoping for more of that too, because it was so fucking amazing.
0: That sequence was just lush, too, because the costuming gets really beautiful. It's yeah.
3: so, so yeah. nice. yeah. her yeah. she
1: has this like emerald green dress and like really beautiful like jewelry and yeah she, it's visually like very fun and there there are some like f- fun funny moments like in the very beginning lena's kind of she's on a downturn and she walks out of a store with like a full rotisserie chicken <laughs> just like eating it in the middle of the road like i th- i thought the contrast of the worlds that they're trying to create within this community compared to like polite society the world that they're expected and kind of pressured to join was really fun and i felt that the most in the beginning and then i kind of lost that as it went on
2: yeah i, I agree with hana in that like it's like if the action scenes would have went maybe a notch up in the emotional core you know like brandon said the stuff with the sister it was like pleasant and nice but it you know, at the end of everything, everywhere, all at once, there's like a big emotional catharsis. And this movie, I don't know if it it probably wasn't going for that. It's not dealing in that register. It's just kind of like, but the whole movie felt like that in every aspect where it's like the fight scenes, the comedy, the emotional core was just kind of middling where it's like, like after it was over, it was like, that was a pleasant thing. to, uh, You know, it's not like groundbreaking. And it, it is very reminiscent of like, scott pilgrim and very like quirky gonna look Mm -hmm. into the camera and you know we know how quirky we're being kind of thing which works but yeah i I don't know it's a hard movie to like criticize it's just like it's fine it was a good time
3: it's a good movie it just felt like even though it's not a Netflix original, but it felt like if there was a Netflix original of everything, everywhere, all, all
1: yes. at
2: once. Yes. Yeah,
1: like, totally. That's a good way to describe yeah. it.
2: I was yeah.
0: gonna say it felt very sitcomy. Like, yeah, it's very character based humor, and like a lot of the like little beats and moments are about you knowing instantly what that character is all about, and then putting them in like goofy situations and like laughing at their reaction. Yeah,
2: I did, I did like her friends. I thought yeah. her friends, the friends were actually were her the... little henchmen. Yeah, yeah good. <laughs> they, were they were hilarious. Like the comedic core of yeah. the movie to me.
3: Especially when they were getting, like when they get really nervous and it, it reminded me so much of like when I was like a teenager and you would get caught doing some dumb shit and you would just make it worse when you were trying to like talk your way out of it. Right. right. And I'm like, oh my God, y'all, stop, stop. But it's just that that weird, what do they call it? The ick? The yeah. ick feeling? Yeah. Cringe. The cringe. Yeah, yeah. It was good though. I would fucking watch this again. Yeah.
0: The sitcom hijinks I think reached their peak when they're at the gym yeah and she's posing yes. as a man um or i guess multiple of her friends are posing as men among the locker room folk who are like half naked and you know she disguised herself with this like really obnoxiously fake mustache i was like this feels like a threes company bit or something you know yeah. like there's like a series of misunderstandings and like characters acting goofy in a way that's very lighthearted. yeah so yeah it's hard to like be down on what's happening because it's very like i don't know pleasant and fun yeah
1: and I do think I like the focus on Rhea as this, like, like aspiring to be a stunt woman. Yeah. I, I th- yeah, I really think if I had seen this as a teenager, I would have thought it was awesome. You yeah. know, I think that sh- she's a fun character. It's fun to have her, like, girl gang of people j- just kind of, like, running around doing ridiculous things. And there is... Um, you know, it just came out. So I don't really want to talk about the ending. But there is a thread of rebellion against, like accepting traditional roles as a woman, which I thought was like, I didn't totally love how the like central conflict ends. I wish that it had resolved more with like Like, basically, there is something that is absolutely evil and bad happening. It's like a
0: sorry to bother you style twist in the third act.
1: Yeah. And and I think it would have been even more effective if these, like, women had just kind of come to the conclusion themselves that they don't, they just don't fit within what is being expected of them. Not like, oh, there's this, like, super evil thing happening and I don't want to be a part of it.
0: I feel like a lot of what happens is... Normal conflicts, especially among siblings, but like exaggerated to such mm-hmm. a ridiculous degree that I think what's happening on screen isn't exactly what's literal. Hap- yeah. So like when the sisters have like a spat before dinner and they're just like having a regular sister fight, it looks like them throwing each other through walls and like destroying the furniture, yeah. going and through the door. <laughs> and it's like they literally couldn't do that every day because they would have nothing to sit on. Yeah. And all the night. parents are so calm. Like yeah. dinner's ready in five. You know, clean up.
1: Yeah. So so then like. What ends up happening is kind of just an exaggerated version of, like, this is essentially what is being expected of you if you follow this road. Right. And yeah. I think it's,
0: like, barely an exaggeration of how creepy and weird rich people are about, like, yeah. breeding stock and, like, finding the right mate right. to, like, pass on Wanna the family. Yeah, charm. that's true. Yeah. Two. Yeah. So it, it is exaggerated and, like, ridiculous, and it's hard to follow the movie on that twist maybe, but, like, I kind of got what they were going for. Yeah. Um, and I would say the resolution of that kind of felt like I, I keep saying the word sitcom, but it kind of felt like there was another episode coming right. after this, where like the main enemy wasn't even really defeated; mm-hmm. they were just kind of put at bay. And like next time in polite society, part two, we would get back <laughs> to the continuing adventures of these yeah. sisters.
1: So I, I was not necessarily the target audience for this, but a younger version of myself, I think, was.
0: I will stand up for Nina Manzor's other work to date, which is We Are Lady Parts.
1: Oh yeah, which
0: is a very brief sitcom uh <laughs>
1: it's sitcom, like only six sitcom, episodes
0: sitcom. and they're like 20 minutes a piece and uh it's very funny and it's about an all-girl muslim punk band in london yeah highly recommend that yeah, nice. yeah.
1: and this is her directorial debut this is her like feature length yeah directorial debut so i'm i don't know i'm excited to see yeah, other films really by her and it was like fun yeah. yeah
0: yeah it's got a lot of style like you know the bollywood stuff and there's a lot of like 70s tarantino style like Zoom-ins and color grading and stuff like that. Yeah. Kind of goofing on 70s genre pictures. There's a lot to enjoy. Next on the Rotten
2: Tomatoes list, number 19 for the year was James's pick. So I picked How to Blow Up a Pipeline, directed by Daniel Goldhaber, who did Cam, which I think we all really liked. And it's based on a 2021 book by... Andreas Malm called the same thing, How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Um, The movie is essentially an ensemble piece about a group of disenfranchised young people who are fed up with, you know, there's a constant conversation in this movie about like how do we handle climate change activism? Do we just go the pacifist route or our actual like almost terroristic tactics necessary for the crisis that we're dealing with and the title of the movie is great how cuz it just grabs your attention from the get go and the movie starts with them in they're already like in the planning phases and like actually carrying out this thing and the movie has a very interesting structure where this group of people goes to like west texas where there is a new pipeline that's just been built and the, you know they all come from different backgrounds, and the movie kind of jumps back and forth in time between them, carrying out this act, and then we kind of see their backstories, which vary from you know someone that grew up next to um, an oil refinery that now has leukemia, again disenfranchised college climate change activists that are fed up with kind of the powers that be telling them like what they can't. Cannot do to combat climate change. You've got your Portland crust punks who do cocaine and get drunk, but are also like diehard, like anarchists. You've got a character that's like kind of conflicted about are these tactics really what we should be doing? And then you have another character who is actually living on a piece of land that's being taken over by the government for eminent domain to build this pipeline. And so they all kind of come together to carry out this mission. And the movie is really, really tense. Like from the very beginning, like they're handling really dangerous material that could easily. I mean, they're making homemade bombs, essentially. And you feel that tension of like if they just cross one wire or one measurement is off, like they're going to blow themselves up. And the movie really like plays into that tension. There's a lot of just like zooming in on them like making these bombs and the liquid measurement and the score is really effective. So there's that tension, which is kind of like a a man escaped. I don't know if anyone saw that. But that and also another obvious example would be like Sorcerer
0: which I heard an interview with the people who made this they had not watched that as like material for the movie <laughs> really? which is wild cuz yeah. sorcerer also has that same i haven't seen it in a while you watched it recently but mm-hmm. it doesn't have that yeah. same setup where like you're watching the high or the transport of the yeah. dynamite in action and it keeps cutting back to people's backstories yes.
1: no the the back stories are in the beginning, in the beginning. that's okay. the setup yeah okay. and then it's like the transport okay. yeah
0: i do remember both things being equally weighted the way that this one was yeah, uh, this is yeah. more scrambled though right
1: it's like the first half is the setup and the second half that's, is the
2: That's crazy to me because it's so much of this right. just like them handling these dangerous materials and when they're dropping the drums on the ground, you're like, oh my God. And when the right. the one bomb maker like <laughs> blows him. Ugh. So and you're there's like all this like inherent tension with like people doing a dangerous mission and it, it's really palpable in this and Yeah, the movie tries to flesh these characters out. I think there's maybe a few too many characters to flesh out, which is fine. But I don't know. I thought this was like a really effective, tense thriller. And I also really liked how radical its politics were because these are the heroes. The terrorists in this movie, eco-terrorists, are the heroes and it's trying to inspire you to feel motivated by their right. actions to blow some shit up. to make a up. difference yeah. in the world. <laughs> Which yeah. is so fucking i that to me like i don't know, a movie that was shown at so many festivals and gotten so much mm. praise. It has like <laughs> this radical of a politic like is pretty inspiring to me and and outside of that like again, the core like thriller aspects of it were really effective like are they going to get away with this? It's nerve wracking. Um, yeah, it's really nerve wracking. And I think it, <laughs> where it maybe falls a little short is like the development of its characters. But I think it's just because it has a short runtime and it's got a lot of people to try to flesh out.
3: It almost made it like the characters weren't the focus. It was the blowing up of the pipeline right. and the process. Like we were just like, I cared about what everybody, why everybody did want to blow up the pipeline. But I think it, like, pushed my focus more on, like, how they're going to do it Mm -hmm. versus, like, the big why of why they're doing it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And I felt like each character was really serving a purpose of, like, these are all of the ways that this pipeline has impacted the people throughout the United States. It's like, you know, like, climate change overall. One girl's, like, mother died during a heat wave. And then, like pollution because of like living near a refinery like people taking land that belongs to you there's also like an indigenous boy who's like living in north dakota and you know it's, it's like yeah. all of the impacts that this has and like the collective that that creates and like each person has a different motivation for being there and even within like the goal of blowing up the pipeline they like feel more or less strongly about it like they have different ideas about what change this is going to affect like one person is like i don't want to build something new out of this i just want to destroy this you know so it was i think it was less about each individual person and more of like how do collectives form from all and how like how wide is the impact of like Pipelines and environmental crises.
0: I think the movie knows too that you're going to be more interested in the bombs than the people. Right. So, like, every time something explodes, it cuts back to the backstory at the second of explosion. That's so, such like,
2: an effective
0: yeah tool. So like you're watching these people's lives and like their reasoning for you know joining in this mission, but the entire time you're like, I want to get back to see what happened after that bomb went off. Right. So you're still on the edge of your seat watching these like characters go about mm-hmm. their like daily lives in that yeah. cutting style. And
2: it, and you know to the film's credit, it is a very political film. I mean, it's like a call to action for like. Extreme times call for extreme measures. And again, I I really respect that about it. But I really, really like that it's a tense thriller too. Yeah, It's just like a really effective thriller with like some radical politics. And for me, that just like checks my boxes.
0: I think my struggle with it a little bit is like they want a wide audience to be radicalized by those politics. So like a lot of the stylistic stuff it's calling back to is... Very recognizable thrillers, especially like 80s and 90s movies that would play right now on like the USA Network, you know?
2: Yeah, and it's shot on like the 16 millimeter, a little grainy
0: texture. Um, It's got the like on-screen text of like a Jerry Brockheimer thriller or like Point Break or something like that. It's got very Michael Mann style synth scores in the background. I think it's calling back to an era when studios made like real world thrillers about heists and things like that that don't really get made as much anymore i mean our modern version of that is fast and furious and that's really going like, off the fucking Ocean's rails 11 Ocean's or something 11, yeah. Yeah, it's that's been a while one of those came out though you know yeah and i think my problem is like the stuff i look for in movies is just not part of that world like you mentioned cam earlier and like that movie is the like give me pity style of filmmaking it's all very insular and these like this one woman's bedroom over the internet. And you're looking at these like very artificial spaces. And then we watched that movie Nocturama, which was like, yeah, it was I basically was like,
2: about that during this movie, the cam version of this
0: movie where it's like very it's high really style good. and beautiful. And like,
2: well, and I think it explains its politics less. Oh yeah. It's not a motivator. Pretty, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. It's supposed to just like provoke you, but not really give you a roadmap to like respond, you know?
1: Yeah. Th- this film, there's this book, that, I think it was the jungle about like, Industrialization and the meat, yeah, 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 like the meat industry, and like each character was used to illustrate a political point. And I think like this reminded me a lot of that. It it felt more like a political manifesto than it did like a narrative
2: feature. Well, and like the you know the crust punk trust fund kid, like that's such a trope that that guy didn't feel like a real person. He's just like a stand in for a political ideology but it's kind of cool that they like made like a dad movie with like anti-dad
0: <laughs> politics you know like yeah it's like politics yeah. that your dad will reluctantly agree to if he gets sucked into the heist uh, aspect yeah of it, you know?
2: no and it and it reminded me like i used to live with this couple who were anarchist and we had a lot of late night discussions about this exact stuff like what tactics are appropriate to use like is it okay to like destroy property or and it just reminded me of that. It's like a polemic, like a, just an open right. discussion. Yeah, it felt like being in like a political science yeah. class.
3: If yeah. anything would be destroyed, I guess that would be the way to do it because you're so far away from like homes and like where people live and stuff like that. Yeah, but I'm when like, the- oh my god, what if there was like, what if someone blew up a pipeline like around here? Because we're surrounded by like chemical refineries, like yeah. the city yeah. of New Orleans. I'm Like, holy shit, that probably like
0: well, that's part of the politics. Is like, people. how do we do enough property damage? that these oil companies will respond or the market will respond and think that it's not an industry worth investing in if it's that volatile.
1: Yeah. Yeah. But
0: also not harm other people in the
1: process. And they make an effort in the movie.
2: Like they have the two guys that show up, you know, and they're like, no, we can't we're not murderers. Like destroying property." and I think that's where most like even radical leftists would draw the line of like we're not gonna assassinate people. Like but blowing some pipelines up or sinking someone's yacht you know
1: yeah yeah and even if each person is basically like an avatar for a a political like stance i do think that the movie really illustrated the like anger and frustration that young people are feeling with the state of the world and like Feeling like there is no way to move forward within the system, like there is that scene in the beginning of this woman whose mother dies, and she's at this like divest meeting at her college campus, and he's like, like the leader of the group, is like, yeah, you know, we just it's a huge system, and this is going to go a long way towards like pulling resources out, and she's like, this is this is meaningless, right?
2: Exactly. (laughs) It's it's like when. What was her name? Greta Thunberg. Right. Yeah. Like people were like, "Why is she so angry?" Like that. The right attacked her. Like she's so angry. Like just lighten up. They—they
3: are so mean to her. And it's yeah. like
2: she's angry because the world you have left her is going to be uninhabitable. Like so. This film, yeah, it's palpable the way these people feel. Like baby boomers or whatever. Like y'all can retire and pass on, but we got to live in this world. Yeah. And it is a call to action. And I think it's kind of an inspiring one but yeah kind of wrapped in like a dad type thriller yeah that's very effective
3: do you think that everyone who gives us like five stars is going to be on a watch list
0: <laughs> i did I mention that of, in my review i was like Oh, uh, <laughs> uh, when i was yeah. like on letterbox i was like
1: Ugh. yeah <laughs> you know that is one thought i had that like this would totally like distill the pool of people like before this movie came out the People that searched for how to blow up a pipeline would be a very specific group of people. And now it's like, you know, it's a search term in a movie. I I know it was a book before too, but it's like either it's going to be harder to like find people that search for this or more and more. The number of people on a watch
2: We're just list looking for is the gonna movie. right.
3: Yeah, I was just gonna try to watch this good movie. God, I know. I'm curious to see if
2: someone's gonna blow up a bike. Right. Well, the but the thing though, After like, this. not not to get too much into the politics, but I know this came out this year, but this feels like actually a conversation that was had like almost a decade right. ago. People have been like the idea of eco terrorism has been around for like a while. Yeah, and the government has really cracked down on this, like given out very hefty prison sentences and the film kind of addresses that that but they essentially get away with it and two of the people get locked up but it doesn't really get into the i don't know addressing the fallout and like what can happen when the you're on a government watch list and when the government like really wants to bring the hammer down on you. You can go to jail for the rest of your life.
0: Well, the movie's not trying to discourage you from not from blowing up a
2: pipeline. Right. Though. They don't want to show you that stuff. <laughs> right? But I'm just saying there's like a whole another conversation right. to be had. Like there is consequences to doing these things that you need to consider before you blow up a pipeline.
1: And I, but I think the film even like kind of may, because there are two, there are some characters that are fully aware of the consequences And kind of take it on. And I feel like that is shown as like a heroic thing. Like they're they're, shielding
2: other collaborators. Right, exactly.
1: By like taking the consequences and with the understanding that it's going to impact the rest of their lives.
2: So, yeah, just a mixture of a good old fashioned thriller with some fucking radical ass politics. Like, yeah, I'd sign me up. I like the structure of it, like giving you all
0: of the best parts of a heist movie. For the entire length, like everyone likes watching people plan a heist. Yeah. They like the building yes. the, the team montage. They like seeing the heist in action and the ways that it goes wrong. And I feel like that's this movie's like trimmed the fat of every other part of yeah, the heist story. Just watch yeah. that the whole time.
1: Right, and it's because it's kind of interspersed. All of it is interspersed throughout. It's not like okay, now here the beginning is the uh, why are we doing this? Then it's the formation. Then it's the it's like you're getting all of it. At the same time yeah. and you're not bored by like being able to anticipate the structure.
0: Better than Sorcerer is what we're saying. They put all that boring <laughs> stuff <laughs> on the oh, I okay, wouldn't go. I wouldn't go. Uh, Let's not go that far. Come on now. Come on now. I'm it's not go that far. <laughs> well, the number two movie of the year so far, according to Rotten Tomatoes. Wow, really? Behind really? only Are You There, God, It's Me Margaret. And cross reference with the Metacritic list. This is the only one with a must see stamp of the four wow. movies we picked.
3: What? That's yes. wild. Wow, a shutter movie.
0: Well, yeah, it went straight to shutter after playing festivals. Yeah. yeah,
3: Okay. Hoysera? Hoysera?
2: Hoysera. The stereo. Bone. Hoysera,
3: <laughs> the Bone Woman. Um, when I found out that this was a pregnancy horror movie, I was all about it because that, those have been like popping out cr- yeah. like crazy this year. I have
1: to say, our catch up. Film episode last year, you picked another pregnancy movie, false the one with positive? a lot of yeah, false oh, positive. I, yeah, you're right, right. but the, I think that was like catching up with 2021. Anyway, I just realized that <laughs> yeah. you're you're like the beacon for pregnancy Thank you. horror because I don't want it, and I like yeah. whenever there's shit that
3: backs <laughs> up why I don't want right. it. Right,
1: So this was a, a
3: debut feature film, another one of those from a female director, Michelle Cervera. Um, so. The movie starts off where the main character, Valeria, is like on this like pilgrimage to see like Our Lady of Guadalupe. And I don't know. I don't think I ever want to go on a pilgrimage because it looked
2: excruciating. Beautiful statue, though. Yeah, gorgeous. Yeah. Cool. Yes. The scale was incredible. Uncanny.
3: Gorgeous statue.
2: <laughs> that, was a, that was a great shot zooming yeah. out, and you see the scale of it. Like, oh my god. This golden <laughs> idol of Mary as tall as a tree.
3: Yeah. lot of stairs to get there though so i might pass on that (laughs) on your
2: knees
3: (laughs) right with the well at least she had a cushion little cushion to kneel on so valeria um since relationship well she's married and her and her husband are trying to conceive and they have this like very not sexy sex with the purpose solely of like her getting pregnant where she like is kind of sitting with her legs up so she can like I want all the semen to like yep. go inside so like some it'll hit one of the eggs, you know? Um <laughs> I always but like that's a common thing. Like yeah. Thing. Which yeah. is so I don't know. I'm I don't ovulating. Know you need to come in
0: me in the next like five minutes. Right. I need to
3: like hang upside down so I <laughs> marinate.
0: <laughs> hot.
3: <laughs> right, so hot. Um so she she does get pregnant like shortly after and her her and her husband Raul are pretty excited, but as like time goes by like she's not as excited for her pregnancy and she starts to this this bone woman starts to haunt her and the boniness in this movie all the bones there are these like massive cracking noises (laughs) like the sound is such an important element to this movie to where i don't know like if there was no like intense sound like this would it be as effective yeah it's like skin crawling i
0: jumped every time the bone woman cracked a bone yeah (laughs) it it, it startled me every time
3: (laughs) anytime there was a crack yeah it kind of reminded me a little bit of um the evil dead rise like that's also another bone crackly movie oh yeah You know, it's that same, like, ugh. It's like nails on a chalkboard. I
1: don't like it.
0: Do you want to describe what the Bone Woman looks like? Faceless? Yeah, Yeah. it's hard to put a, like pin on it it's just yeah. like this like blurred this face this thing Can yeah. nakey,
1: sorry naked uh, naked br- broken bone <laughs> naked <woman>. lady Na- <laughs> naked bone
2: woman she's a naked no. cracky. <laughs> naked <A> bone <laughs> lady with
1: no face a
2: naked cracky lady
1: <laughs> that's the exact why did I go with that
0: title <laughs> <laughs> where's Sarah naked lady
3: <laughs> naked bone lady, lady. naked bone lady um <laughs> the big the first big jump scare though is when she's outside and there's like a neighbor across like the mm-hmm. the street from her and she just fucking jumps off a balcony. <laughs>
2: yeah.
3: Without like there's no build up to you thinking that will happen and it just happens and it's it's a whoa shit moment and um she gets all bone crackly too. So I think that this movie is supposed to like touch on how, like, sometimes when, it, like, a lot of films are, like, when women are pregnant, they're, like, oh, I'm glowing, and, like, mm-hmm. this is the best thing that ever happened to me. But there's more than likely times where they might be, like, what have I done, and I don't know if I want this anymore, and this is not what I thought it was going to be, and she's exploring all of that through the bone woman um that's haunting her. Like, is the, you know, I took it as, like, the bone woman is, are those thoughts and feelings that she's, like, harboring while she's pregnant, because there's like a scene where she's horny and she wants to have sex with her husband Raúl, and he's like, you know, no, I think I'm gonna, you know, poke the baby. You know, in a he didn't say that exactly, right. but that like ignorant, like, no,
1: you're yeah. pregnant. I Isn't can't do that. Isn't it gonna hurt the baby?
3: Right. Yeah. So she kind of rekindles this. There's a flashback to when she was young, and in this like really cool queer punk group, and she revisits um, a woman that she was romantically involved with when she was younger to like have sex with. And she was, she was fine with her being pregnant, but almost that like punk queerness was that point in her life where she can kind of do what she wanted and had control over things. So I thought it was really cool how it reverted back to that scene. And it was such like a huge part of this whole like pregnancy process for her. Like, holy shit, like even more. I missed that time in my life where I can make decisions for myself, and now I kind of can't. And it gets to the sort of that point at the end where she does have the baby, puts it in the fridge for a little bit, just a teensy bit. But I guess better than putting him in an oven or microwave. And she's kind of gets the these like witches together to help her ward off this bone woman, but she's the bone woman, and her husband kind of has the kid and i don't know like i can kept thinking of like what to make of that ending like is it that it's okay like it's probably better for her husband to take care of this kid than for her to and then like shove the kid in the fridge again like it's okay for you to step away from something
0: i think it's more that she was pressured into thinking this is what she should do with her life yeah yeah like her sister has two children and right. her sister and her mother kind of smell the queer stink on her a little bit. And, yeah. Like, ostracize her even within the, their own family and make fun of her to her face. We'll
3: make fun of her for like not being a caregiver. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: And she thinks that she'll be happy if she kind of suppresses this like queer punk rebel side of herself. Yeah. And sort of settles down with a nice man and builds a life with him in this little house. And like as she get, becomes pregnant more and more of her personality erodes. Like, not only is she no longer part of this punk scene, which is still thriving among her age group elsewhere, but, like, she has a creative outlet with this furniture she builds in the house. Yeah. She gives that up for the baby's nursery. She can't have sex anymore, even though she's horny. It's, like, more and more of the things that she defines herself with are replaced with, like, I can't do that anymore now, I'm a mother. Because of this, like, baby, yeah. And the more that she sees herself as just a mom and a housewife... Uh, that's when she panics and starts going in this like hallucinatory yeah. uh, fugue state I'm the bone woman freak outs where she puts the baby in like real harm and other people around her
2: and yeah. herself yeah that, that scene was really intense where I was like I cannot watch a baby being murdered like
1: please right. tell me
2: this baby is okay right. and then she gets it out the fridge and you're like, oh my god! Thank yeah, god. Like, my head that was, was in the, my hand. That was the most intense, but like, just a little chilly. <laughs> I I don't know if anyone else felt this way, but I did find her character. I like I sympathize with her a little bit, but I also was like, you know that you're a queer punk. Like, don't lie to yourself. Like, you know what you and like at the end, okay, you've had the child, you're gonna let your husband raise it and. You're basically going back to where you started, like you wasted all this time I think that's and victim I think she, blaming, or she needed Victor, that. But why to is like, she the victim? Because it's,
3: it's a societal it.
0: level issue where it's like, yes, you can have these personal passions and these ways that you fit in as an outsider, but it's so much easier to live a daily sure. life by fitting in. And the more you shave off yourself, like punks grow up and get desk jobs, like queer people who are by. You know, we'll settle for the opposite gender because but I, it's easier to get along.
2: What I'm saying is life. even in the movie, she has a, like, a friend or a lover still in that scene that wants to be with her. She literally has, like, a person who is queer. But they've grown apart. And She hasn't seen her in years. But they still, like, they reconnect. I mean, she could have easily gone back to her at any point. Like, I don't know. I just found myself being kind of unsympathetic towards her at the end (laughs) you're a monster it seemed
3: like the pregnancy though like reinforced what she really wanted to like i don't know like sort of like if she was thinking like god you know i want i want to live my my best queer life but let me do this instead and then when you do it you're like oh this fucking blows like i really don't want to do this and i want to go back like it almost really sealed the deal for her yeah and i get it it sucks if like a baby's involved but sometimes that's how it happens
1: right it's like definitely not ideal that she like that she was kind of like inculcated into traditional life and then had a child and then left but right it's almost like in the because she has this aunt too who's like a loner or she's not a loner she's not married she has a Gaggle of women friends, like I don't know. I got are they the, friends? They're right. all lovers No, that's what yeah, I'm saying. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> and like her family talks about that aunt derisively, like, oh, she's not gonna, like, thank God she's not gonna end up like you know so and so. So it's like, like the idea of the bone woman is the woman that cannot fit into traditional life, and that and that is a monster, and like a monster that they have to get rid of. But she, like she is that. Person, So she's trying to suppress this part of herself because she thinks it's monstrous. Like, yeah. you've never liked children. But truthfully, it's just like, like her aunt has accepted that as a part of herself, and she's happy, and she's kind. You know, right. I just think it's a really difficult it's, position to be in. It's
2: difficult, but in her life, she has an aunt who is cool, who is in that world. She has a lover, an ex-lover, who's, like, still in the punk scene. Like, you didn't have to do this. Like, I get the societal pressure. The aunt's
0: also closeted among her family and basically eat shit whenever she's around her, like, relatives. I don't think she's that
2: close. I I think everyone kind of knows that. Yeah, but it's not talked about.
3: I never made the connection. I didn't think that, like, the queer connection was as big versus the pregnancy one, meaning that a lot of times, like, I don't know. I don't know if the movie's trying to do this, but... Queer people have children, and that's fine. True. And they have babies, and they love them. Right. Um. So just because you're queer doesn't mean you're, like, anti-baby, too. And a yeah. lot of movies do fall into that realm where they try to stereotype it. And I don't know. This kind of isn't
0: either-or scenario. But for this
3: one, I felt it was more like women being forced. Like, you're not truly a woman until you complete this one task. Like, And I th- thought there was more emphasis mm. on that.
0: In general, that's, like, what I find really interesting about this movie, though, is, like... I can't exactly pinpoint the full metaphor of like what the bone woman represents and like the motivations behind it. And I feel like we have seen so many of these metaphor movies. Like um, what's like the earliest ones, like the witch and the Babadook and it follows like, this like metaphor wave, I think is kind of exhausted itself in the horror genre, but this is so well done and not cut and dry that like the scares actually work. Yeah. And I found the metaphor to be at, at least a step further from like what it usually is, which is like A or B, grief or trauma,
2: or yeah, like yes. the monster in the right. room. That's true. Like that, I'm I'm totally... Like, I will say the look and feel of it, though, it did feel like a... Sh- I don't know if there's a thing as like a Shudder movie. Yeah. But it... It's a generic horror film. It's a generic horror film that has like interesting ideas. And I do think what makes it interesting is the queer punk stuff going on yeah
0: there's something about like leaving yourself behind and erasing yourself to make your life easier that i think as people in our 30s we would you know at least see some part of ourselves in that like there's a youthful rebellion you sort of shave off of yourself to fit in easier unless (laughs) you're like uh fully committed to your radical politics and i'm i don't want to throw everyone in the boat but like there are ways that like i've made my life Cleaner and more homogenous to like society, sure. yeah. Just yeah. to get For by, sure. and like that idea gets really complicated. And I think the more that she leaves herself behind, the more the Bone Woman shows up. So there's a correlation there, yeah. but I can't say that the Bone Woman represents right something specific.
1: And it, I mean, it is it does manifest in her as like her. It's like a nervous tick of cracking her fingers whenever when she's uncomfortable, like when she feels like her family is putting her down or she's yeah. in a position where she's like kind of suppressing herself and then it like like morphs into like her full body i mean it really is this like f- physical misalignment that you're trying to address that is just getting like worse and worse over time
2: mm. yeah i i mean i kind of took the um where the witches are kind of praying over her doing this ritual to exercise the Bone Woman, and then she, like you said, kind of realized that the Bone Woman is her. It's kind of felt like a gay conversion therapy camp thing where it's like mm. she is wrestling with these feelings of who am I, what like path do I want to go in life? Do I want to do the housewife thing? Do I want to be with this woman that I love? And it's like you think of it as like this external thing that I need to exercise and really, it's just like your internal stuff that you need to figure out. And so like, I don't know, I was making that connection in my head because like the gay conversion, and all like, oh, yeah, we can do rituals and pray the gay away. Like, but that's inherently who you are. So I don't know, like I was making those connect, like the metaphor, like Brandon was saying, is more interesting than a, this represents trauma or grief. Yeah. Like, I think. The pregnancy thing, but that also linked with the queerness aspect is like what makes this movie above the like cookie cutter, yeah, uh, you know, metaphor shutter, horror. metaphor horror. Yeah. Uh and I think that's why it's like special. And the Mexican cultural aspect of it too. I did look up to make sure yeah. the Bone Woman
0: was not like a folktale thing, and yeah. maybe I missed it in my brief research, but I didn't see Yeah, I didn't see like that. it either. Uh yeah. but there is a moment where they're playing a sixties movie version of La Llorona on the television, um, and it, it feels at least tangential to that because, like, that's about that folktale is about this like witch who drowns children mm-hmm. because of her cheating husband. Yeah, I love that size. movie. Which one? The, the shitty one? one
3: that came out like oh, five or six <laughs> years ago. Well, it's I asked because there
0: is like dozens and dozens of Mexican horror films. Yeah, based on the, this was like the
3: mainstream U.S. version. <laughs>
0: okay. I didn't see that. <laughs> But uh, the one that plays on the TV in this movie looks very cool. I'd, I'd watch that. Yeah. It just felt like it was communicating with that same like Mexican folk tradition. Uh-huh. But, you know, creating its own monster in that same style which yeah. is pretty cool.
3: I really like this movie, but I think I might have, I guess there's like a lot of ways to pull from it. Like the yeah. queer lens, the the female lens, the pregnancy lens. And right. I kind of hyper focused on like what it feels like to be in the midst of something where you're like i think i want this but i'm doing this because everybody's pushing it on me and then i've done it and now i'm like it's in me and i don't want this anymore yeah and like what that feels like
1: right it's like i you're at a decision point and you know and even especially because they're trying so hard and it seems difficult it's like something that may not even actually end up happening and then once it happens, you have to reckon with, like, what impact is this actually going to have on my life? And, like, that ritual at the end, like, I definitely think you can think of that from a queer perspective, but also just, like, in general, like, this ritual to purge whatever it is that makes you not accept a traditional life. And it's, like, realizing that the, the thing that is butting up against the traditional life is me mm-hmm. like i have to right. get out of this it's not something that could be taken out of me right and like really fully realizing what you need to do to be happy
3: oh god <laughs> it's so poignant so um another reason to not get pregnant right you know <laughs> and to it's like another like i was saying like i like these movies because it's just more of a reinforcement where i'm like i don't want this that's normal right and i'm like oh fuck yeah they made movies about it that are scary
1: um one other thing i wanted to say about the like this film compared to a lot of the like the metaphor films that we were talking about i think i think this is like closer to the witch In that it's like, especially that ending scene, right? Like there are so many of these types of movies where the end result is basically like somebody's destroyed or like like they succumb to this thing that is evil, like trauma overwhelms them, grief overwhelms them, and this just like I thought it was really refreshing to have a film where someone like works through. This, like, obstacle in a way that feels like healthy and authentic.
2: I mean, healthy, uh, yeah, authentic, but like, she had a child that she's just leaving behind. I mean,
3: with the husband that wanted it,
2: right? But I'm not sympathetic to like, this baby's gonna, person's gonna grow up, be like, where's my mom? It's like, well, she just left you when you were an infant because. Is it better
0: for her to stick around and like, be in its light and kill it No, I, she I, have I don't. Any affection for it? Like, no, I don't know. that fuck but, the kid up.
2: But it's also like, come on, you're an adult. You had a child to full turn. Like, it's kind of your thing to raise it.
3: There is that perspective, like, and I'm. I grew I up not with find two parents that were around. So
2: <laughs> I don't know. I did not find <laughs> it sympathetic at all.
3: <laughs> or if you were someone who grew up with an absent mother, you might have like a different
1: perspective right. well, of that. So I don't you know. Were, I I are we empathize to with celebrate both. absentee
2: yeah. parents? Is no. Is that where we're at in th- the culture? I like, think
1: what what this I mean, I think it is a tragedy what happens it's tragic. at the end. Yes, it sucks but all the
2: way around. I don't think I'm a monster for thinking that it's tragic. I to say I'm not sympathetic to this character and no, I'm not. It makes
0: a tough decision. No,
2: I, I don't feel sad for her at the end. I feel like I kind feel of, sad. It sucks. It's I feel sad for the situation. I feel sad for the child and for the father. You think yeah. she should go to court for this? No, I don't <laughs> think she. I think she should like. Go. She should be legally bound to this no, family. No, I think oh she should God. go and like have <laughs> a relationship like with <laughs> like with her girlfriend girlfriend, and raise raise her to child. Say that's not
0: what to that, cr- cr- that, that is cr-
2: clearly not what happens? a <laughs> 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 <Brandon>, come on, <laughs> she's gr- getting her luggage yeah. and leaving. She on. She's that her luggage forever. leaving. She to left yeah. that child to forever. Yeah. I just don't want to get
0: a chance to it's a chance to get a I'm more a to the idea that to get pressured into a situation that was never right for her and there's no good or easy way out
1: i get the sense that she does love the baby yeah like after she takes her out of the fridge like oh she's she's devastated she's like i'm gonna kill this child right or she's like what have i you done know? Yeah. right exactly so it's like she i think she does want what's best for the child and understands that that is not her being in that child's life like i think obviously the best case scenario would be that she was able to fully like understand herself from the beginning and know like this yeah. is not something that I want but like again like I think you could you could find somebody who had an absentee mother and you could find somebody whose mother was there but hated them there yeah. and hated being a mother and was miserable and like I think those are both really difficult situations all sad I don't yeah. think
0: her continuing to conform to this motherhood thing is like a good thing.
2: I think the whole movie is about how that's not working. Right. And I think her solution at the end is not a good thing for anyone either. That's why it's a tragedy. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I'm sympathetic to the tragedy. I think, I think I'm think <laughs> i sympathetic to a slightly lesser degree.
1: Okay. Yeah. <laughs> Understood. yeah. I think basically as soon as she gets pregnant, from that point on, there are no good options. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's also like, I think there have been like thousands of mothers that have gotten pregnant because that's what you're supposed to yes. do and do not understand the ramifications
2: of that's that. That's also because why it's, we have abortion. I mean, there was a time in, where she could have gotten an abortion. And in this highly Catholic, family oriented
0: culture that she's in, I don't think the father would have wanted that. I don't think the immediate family would have wanted that. The baby's got a community of people that are, you know. There's uh, no good
2: answers. It's not. This this, this does happen
3: a lot, though. Like, just thinking of all the women I went to high school with that thought, like, I guess this is what I need to do. Right. And weren't ready to be moms. And then, like, we're really bad moms. And their kids fucking hate them. And their kids are fucked up for life. And it's like, I don't know. It's just like bringing a child into the world is such a huge, huge deal. And... It sucks that, like, that's something that's pressured so much to people. Oh, just
1: do it. And it's like, no, that's like, yeah, that's massive. The the fact that that is such a natural part of the story of (laughs) what you're supposed to do as a woman like, you get married, you have a baby, and that, and there are other ways to live, but that is essentially the template. Yeah.
3: Like, it's a
1: huge responsibility. And I'm going to have a kid. Yeah.
3: What? Like, come on. It's like asking, like, when am I gonna adopt another cat? Like, it's right. more of a big decision, and that it's thrown around so like lightly.
0: I'm, I'm thinking of a joke and give me pity, where she's like, uh, she's like, you want someone to love you and find you exciting? Have a baby. Right. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's just something you're supposed to do. Yeah. There are a lot of complicated, like familial and like interpersonal relationships in this. Yeah. It's very messy, which I think helps it feel. Less generic than it might look from a distance. It's very thought
2: provoking. Though.
0: I will say I heard a little like confusion in the room when it was declared the number two movie of the year so far via it Rotten Tomatoes scores. I mean,
2: come on. <laughs> okay, so
0: like, how good is it? Like, is, is this a movie we enjoyed? I thought, yeah. I thought it was yeah. better than it I looked. liked it a lot. Okay. Yeah, it is, but it is. I was just shocked at number, number two. Like, that's
3: right. big.
2: It does have the look and feel of a generic shutter horror, and it's elevated by the Mexican aspect and. The queer punk aspect as well. And uh, going beyond the metaphor, the A to B metaphor. like Yeah. So it feels very, it looks and feels very average, but I think it's like an above average of these type of Mm -hmm. horror films. Yeah. So yeah, I I liked it. I'm thinking like the Rotten Tomatoes aggregation is
0: usually about who's reviewing the movie. So like right. if every person who saw this on the festival circuit and got their reviews up are all people who cover horror regularly. Okay. Right. Like it probably fits that cloister like really well. And like the Amanda Kramer movie did not list at all on this list because not enough people reviewed it at all. Yeah, and how to blow up a pipeline has a lot of people who, you know, are citing it as like one of the best movies of the yeah. year, but it's also slightly divisive enough so that it's not in that number two spot below some more crowd-pleasery type stuff. So I don't know. It's kind of interesting how these things get ranked.
3: Well, this is why the only list that matters is the Swamp Flicks top at the end of the year because this is all
1: the system's bullshit. And the people are on the edge of their seats. (laughs) (laughs) I know.
0: (laughs) It's coming. That's a good question then if we're the people who matter. Uh, I, I guess I have a twofold question. Like, Is there a movie today that we talked about that you think will come back around at the end of the year? And whether or not that's true do you have a favorite movie of the year so far
3: i don't have like one that i'm like i think infinity pool right now is like probably my number one i but really I'm, like
0: that movie too i'm
3: looking forward to like a few other things to come out yeah. that i'm like really banking on um but nothing like i find this as like a pattern like when we hit that six month mark every year like i'm not like God, this is a badass year for mm-hmm. movies. I never feel like that until like the last six months yeah. Yeah. when all that shit starts becoming more available and more stuff starts
2: cranking mm-hmm. out.
3: But I don't know. Like this would, if I had like maybe a top 15, I would probably put this on here right now. Uh, yeah. w-
2: was Wasara, yeah. Cool. Yeah, I was going to say kind of similar how to blow up a pipeline for me would probably be in the top 15, maybe top 10, um, depending as far as like, I w- would put like Skinamarink and Outwaters is kind of a double bill of like, tr- like to me. Really, the only like what felt like new and fresh and revolutionary, yeah. for horror, for that genre. Like those are the two. I I think Infinity Pool is really really good too, and probably will be in the top ten. A lot of fun, but yes, yeah, uh, Skinamarink and Outwaters feel like ooh, this is something new, yeah, and fresh that will like we'll be talking about for years to come.
1: I do think I, I keep a running list now of like the best movies of the year, so I can kind of like refer back to it. And I think, right, I haven't watched that many twenty twenty three movies, honestly. But I think Give Me Pity with Sarah and How to Blow Up a Pipeline would be in my top fifteen so nice. far. A
0: successful day,
1: yeah. <laughs> oh my and god! And then yes. for like my top, I the three movies that are kind of circulating. In my top are um, Ennisman. Oh, Ennisman! Yeah. Sorry, <laughs>
2: that's and sorry to yeah. take the spotlight, but I would do a triple right. bill of Ennisman, Skin of a Rink, Outwaters, really the future of horror in yeah. those three films like to so the point
0: where you were annoyed there weren't like slow cinema horror experiments at uh, overlook this year yes and i was like give them a time to react like things have just right. changed they programmed this yeah, months yeah. ago but i
2: think we're <laughs> moving away from the a24 style and it that's the future yeah. to me and so those three and especially in i don't know how i forgot it that's Clearly, my that's my number one so far this yeah. year. So, anyway,
1: yeah. So, I think Ennis Man is like the most to me, the freshest, like most interesting mm-hmm. thing I've seen. And then, I don't know, I feel like I always have a drama up there, and I have like the five devils and past lives kind of like trading places. So, that's my top three circulating. Skinamarink Rink and Outwaters are both in that list. Um, but Ennis Man was like. The most interesting of those three films to me.
0: You know, I was thinking about the Five Devils during Huss era a lot, because thematically,
1: mm-hmm. yeah, it's
0: about this like kind of regret of building this like very normal family, right, and then being confronted by your like queer past that you left behind, where there was a lot more passion and like personality, and like mm-hmm. coming out of that shell is not fun or comfortable. Yeah. So yeah, I was thinking about the Five Devils a lot during that movie as well. Yeah,
1: all those sparkly suits.
0: And I'm going to triple down on Inis Maine as being like the best movie of the year so far. Yeah.
1: <laughs> I, uh, I, I felt, need to see it.
0: I felt very excited by Skinamarink and, and The Outwaters. And then watching Inis Maine was like, finally, this is like making sense in a way that I get. It clicked. It, it yeah. clicked. Yeah. It's it's like Jean Dielman folk horror. Uh, <laughs> yep. It's very Just good. Just
1: like, I want to bathe in that. Yeah. It's you fantastic. Know? Yeah.
0: Uh, and you know, I'll, I'll rep Forgive Me Pity. I like it a lot. <laughs> it's high up on my list yeah. so far. Uh, next episode, we are retreating back to the 1990s, which I banished earlier after James brought up a 90s movie. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to talk about Richard III, uh, which stars Ian McKellen, and I believe he wrote the script as well. No. Uh, and he is playing the Shakespeare character of the historical of figure, but it's set in an alternate history 1930s Britain Weird that looks like Nazi Germany. So it's like fascist, alternate history, Britain, uh, Shakespeare. (laughs)
3: Oh my God, that sounds wild. It's pretty good.
0: Yeah, I'm excited to talk about it.